It's now at about 6.30 a.m. Friday, the last day of Jesus' life, the day he's going to be crucified, about 6.30 a.m. He's been found guilty. He was found not guilty multiple times, and now they've declared him guilty. We talked about it the last time we, we, we spoke on this. And now they're going to get ready for the crucifixion. So, so it's about 6.30 a.m. He's going to be crucified at 9. There is the, the Via Dolorosa, the, the, the march that's going to take place. That might be you know, somewhere under 30 minutes. Uh, so it's around 6.30. So between 6.30 and about 8 a.m., they're getting ready. They have to get ready for this uh, uh, crucifixion. And so let's read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him, and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. So the, the, it says that the, the soldiers, the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and he gathered the whole Roman cohort. This is probably the Roman cohort that had picked him up in the garden. This is 400 to 600 soldiers. So there's a lot of soldiers there and it says all of them. It wasn't some subgroup of them. It's the whole Roman cohort. He gathered them. And, and uh, uh, it says that, that they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. So they stripped, stripped him, they, they took off his clothes, they put a scarlet robe. If we read in Mark, it says that they put a purple robe on him. So it was obviously purple and scarlet. One man calls it purple, another man calls it scarlet. And you, if, you, if you have a, a robe of two different colors, sometimes people call it one, sometimes people call it by the other color. And it says, uh, 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 they twisted together a crown of thorns. Now, these thorns in Israel are big, long things. They're not like our, our little thorns on, on, uh, on uh, tulips, for example, or roses. The, these are these, the, uh, on roses. These are huge thorns, so they twisted together this crown of thorns. They put it on his head, and then they took a reed, and they stuck it in his hand and were mocking him. Hey, you're the king. You've got, you, you got your scepter in your hand. Then they were you know, mockingly kneeling down before him, and, and uh, uh, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they would spit in his face and they grabbed the reed out of his hand and they're whacking him, on the head, uh, uh, whacking him on the head with it. So you see this mocking is going on. If you have ever been mocked, if you have ever been made fun of, if you have ever been ridiculed by groups of people, you know how that stings. And I would venture to, 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 to guess that... that Almost everyone here has experienced that, to be the brunt of the joke of a group of people. And all of us know the pain that occurs, so much so that when, when we're growing up, those experiences never leave our memories because they were so painful. Jesus knows what it is to be mocked. Jesus knows what it is to be ridiculed. Okay, let's turn over to John, John chapter 19, John chapter 19, verse 16. So he then handed them over to be crucified. They took Jesus, John 19, verse 17 now. They took Jesus, therefore, 
And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. So Jesus went out bearing his own cross. And that's what the one who was going to be crucified had to do. He had to carry the upper crossbar generally of the cross that he was going to be crucified on where his hands were tied to it. They weren't nailed yet. They were tied to it. And he was to carry that. But it was often the case with men that had undergone a scourging that they were unable. So not everybody underwent a scourging. Remember, Pilate put Jesus through the scourging hoping that that would pacify the Jews' complaint and he wouldn't have to crucify him. Uh, But here he was now going to be crucified and he could only go out a certain amount of way because often the men after scourging, they would die just right after the scourging or they were totally unable to do anything. And here he's initially given his cross to carry. Let's turn over to, to, uh, to Mark, Mark chapter 15. And we're going to see now what happens when he starts to carry this cross. Mark chapter 15, verse 20. Mark chapter 15, verse 20. And after he had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garment on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. They brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So after they mocked him, they took off his garments and they let him out to be crucified. So that's, that's what happens. And he obviously couldn't carry that cross anymore. He couldn't carry that upper bar of the cross any longer. And he collapsed under his weight. And so they pushed into service. They just grabbed somebody into service. And they grabbed a man named Simon of Cyrene. So this is a man, Cyrene is in North Africa. So this is a man, a Jewish man that had come into Jerusalem for the Passover. Jerusalem, remember, was filled. That's why Pontius Pilate, that's why Herod Antipas were there. It was filled with, with lots of people. They would set up tent cities around Jerusalem because most people couldn't, there wasn't space for them in the city. So lots and lots of people, because remember, every male Jew was supposed to return to Jerusalem for the Passover. So there were a lot of people there. So this is a Jew coming from North Africa. If you go to Israel today, you will see many people that made Aliyah, which means came back under the Jewish right to return from North Africa, from Ethiopia, from Eritrea. And you will see them. And, and they're, they're, they are black individuals. And uh, uh, they, they will have immigrated to Israel. They are Jews. There were Jews in North Africa, believed since the time of the Queen of Sheba, since the time that Sheba had spent time with Solomon, from that time, and you will see many of these people, and many of of the North Africans that are there often join the police department. Many of them are involved in security in Israel. And and, uh, uh, so he was from North Africa, Simon of Cyrene. He was probably black. We don't know, but he probably was because Cyrene is North Africa. It says he was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and he was there bearing the cross. He was forced into service to bear the cross of Jesus. It's interesting that Mark is the gospel that is written to the Romans. Mark is known to be the gospel that was drafted to the Romans. There was a church in Rome. Paul went and he wrote the book of Romans, the epistle of Romans, to that church in Rome. We know from that, that book that the church in Rome was not founded by an apostle. It was founded by a group of, of Jews 
that had uh, believing Jews, those that believed in Jesus, had immigrated to Rome and founded a church there. That's what we learn in the book of Romans. And in the end of the book of Romans, it mentions a man's name. And it mentions a man's name named Rufus, and it mentions his mother. And it is well believed that the scriptures are putting this connection together, that this is the Rufus whose father was Simon of Cyrene, who had been so impacted by carrying this cross alongside Jesus at this time. So imagine the picture that he's forced into service. Jesus is a bloody mass. So this bar is covered with blood as well. He's got to help him carry this cross and he's seeing Jesus. Now, the thing about Jesus, it says that he didn't open his mouth except he stopped in one occasion and he spoke to the women of Jerusalem while he was en route to the cross. It's the only time he spoke en route to the cross. From the cross, he only made a few statements. One of them was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Another one that he said to to one of the prisoners that you'll be with me, one of the other men being crucified, you'll be with me this day in your kingdom. And he, he said one other thing, which we'll talk about uh, next time or the time after, God, oh God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So just a few times he spoke on the cross. Most people, when they were on this march to the cross, they would shout vile things toward their accusers, toward their persecutors, so vile that often the soldiers would cut out their tongues so they didn't have to listen to this. But Jesus wasn't crying out. Luke 23, verse 26, gives us a little bit more picture, but it doesn't specifically mention uh, Simon's family because that wasn't the book to the Romans. So you can see what Mark was doing. He was putting the whole connection there to, with them. But Simon of Cyrene was, was well impacted. In Luke 23, verse 26, it says, When they led him away, they seized the man, Simon of Cyrene, coming from the country, and placed on him the cross behind Jesus. Now remember, Cyrene is of North Africa. The last tour I had of Jerusalem, a tour guide was taking uh, uh, my son Ben and myself around the, the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, uh, he mentioned uh, uh, Simon of Cyrene. He says, do you know where Cyrene is? I said, yes, North Africa. He was like, I have never known anybody to know that before. So now you know it too. So you can surprise the, the tour guides there. And following him was a large crowd of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? So, Here he is, and these are daughters of Jerusalem. These are not the women that followed him from Galilee. These are the daughters of Jerusalem, meaning that these are professional whalers. You say, well, why do we have professional whalers? This is commonly done in many parts of the world. So Shireen tells me in her country, at at funeral processions, they have professional whalers, people who professionally lead the crying. You say, this is odd. Well, we have a lot of odd things in our culture. Why do we have a professional worship leader? Like, I need somebody to... Tell me how to worship God. It's kind of a strange thing. You have a professional worship leader leading worship. There are many churches in other parts of the world The people just gather and one person sings out in a song, another person sings out, uh, uh, reads a hymn, and that's the worship service. There is no person up front leading a worship. They look at us like we're really strange. Uh, You can't worship without somebody telling you what to sing. And so most of the world doesn't have professional worship leaders standing in front. So you, you, it's just different cultures. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just what it is what it is. 
there were, but there were professional worshipers, and he turns to them. He says, don't weep for me, but weep for your children. Because remember, they had called down upon themselves that, that, uh, uh, they would, that in, the, in this city that they had called down the blood, his blood, they said, be upon us and upon our children. So he's telling these women, he's here prophesying concerning the 70 A.D. judgment as to what's going to be happening. Uh, and then it, and then it says, and, and it's going to be so rough on you that uh, if they're doing this to me, imagine what's going to be done to you. And because if the Romans are doing this to me, imagine what's going to be done to you. Then it says two others in verse 32 who were criminals were being led to be put to death with him. And so, so you, you see that, that uh, the very things that were happening. And, and when they came to the place called the skull, they were crucified they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. So there are these two criminals, and these are people probably who were part of the, the, the rebellion of, of um, uh, Barabbas, and they're being crucified. These two were mocking him as well, as we're going to read about next time. But what I want to do is I want to turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Because in Isaiah chapter 53 you have the prophecies concerning uh, uh, the crucifixion. And we'll even start in Isaiah 52. Turn to Isaiah 52, the last part of Isaiah 52. We're going to start reading in verse 13 of Isaiah 52. Now remember, this was written about 650 years before Jesus was born. All right, And you say, no, 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 we don't believe it. It was written afterward. No, because they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1930s. The Dead Sea Scrolls date back to, to, to uh, uh, the B.C. period, pre the life of Jesus, very clearly date back. And those have, of, th- those have all the portions of the Bible, of the Old Testament. All the portions of the Old Testament are there, except for one book, and that's the book of Esther. And it's not just a continuous book. There are portions and portions, and there's other paperwork with that. There's, there's ledger accounts and the accounting stuff, but, there's, but you can piece it together. Now, there's one portion that's there more than any other portion, and that is Isaiah 53. And, and you know, it's just interesting the way God does this. But here, Isaiah 52, chapter, verse, chapter 52 of Isaiah, verse 13, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. So it talks about here, it talks about his scourging. He says, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. It talks about what his body would be like. Then it says, thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. I have seen this with my own eyes. I have seen very important people in the world. I start talking about Jesus and it immediately grabs their attention and they shut their mouths and they listen. Because the word of God is so powerful. Just at this meeting last week, I shared in the open group of how how Jesus came into my life. And the words of Jesus, and you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, everybody was just, you know, bolt looking at me. And, and, uh, um, and this happens. I remember I was with the, with the, um, the, the, the leader of parliament from, from South Korea. 
and uh, 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 the, the prime minister and the former prime minister, he came to my office. He was brought by a friend. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. I got down on my knees and he got down on his knees and I started to pray for him. and He just started weeping. The power of God does this. It says kings will shut their mouths on account of him. And that is so true. I've seen this with my own eyes. Now let's turn to Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. So you can read the rest of this chapter on your own, but I want to focus in on this. We saw the mockings that Jesus went through. Here it says, it talks about him, it says, that, that in verse 2, he grew up before him. Jesus grew up before the Father like a tender shoot, a root out of parched ground. So like a, a, just a beautiful green shoot coming up out of the parched ground. It says he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. There was nothing that Jesus had physically that attracted people to him. Nothing. The Bible speaks of physical appearance only on the extremes. If someone was extremely handsome, the Bible mentions that. So, for example, Absalom was a handsome man. King Saul was a handsome man. And then it, it'll talk, for example, uh, about women who are extremely beautiful, like Abigail. When it's on the extremes, or it will, it will mention this. It never mentions anything about Jesus. In fact, it goes so far as to say there was nothing in him physically by which we should be drawn to him. So if you get this, 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 this image in your mind from Hollywood that he was, had sort of a Scandinavian face and, and he was like you know, the real ladies' man in his appearance, that's not true. That's not true. It was more likely that he was five foot four with crooked teeth according to what the scriptures have, that there was nothing in him that drew anybody to him physically, nothing in his physical appearance. So if you are not satisfied with the way you look, just remember there was nothing in Jesus that drew people to him. Jesus has made each of us the way he has made us for the reasons that he has made us this way. And that is his, his reasons. He knows what is best. I kind of think that he has put us in a position to optimize our coming to him. And the reason I say this is because if I, if I were six foot five and just really good looking, I think it would be harder for me to come to faith. Because there would be a lot of pride and, you know, and, and, and I'd get all sorts of accolades just growing up. You know, people just thinking I'm really something and the football stud and everything. I mean, I had the football player's heart. I mean, I just... I really could do it in my heart. I just didn't have, you know, the only problem was I wasn't fast enough and I wasn't strong enough and I wasn't big enough. But other than that, I was just made for football. 
So I had the heart. But do you see, God puts us exactly where we need to be. This is the image of His Son. There was nothing in Him physically that, that drew people to Him. That's what it says. He had no stately form of majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Do you have sorrows? I would venture that all of us have sorrows. And sometimes we think, it's, why me? Why, why am I always like this? We all have sorrows. And we all have griefs. And Jesus, it says, He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I mean, of what He went through, the mockings and the things that people said about Him. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knows your sorrows. Jesus knows your sorrows. Jesus knows your griefs. Jesus knows your pain. Not just that He knows it. He has felt this Himself. If you think that you have been mocked, you have not been mocked nearly as much as Him. When's the last time someone stuck a crown of thorns on your head and four to six hundred soldiers marched around you, mocking you, spitting at you in the face, after you had just been punched in the face by a bunch of religious leaders and spit in and had your beard plucked out? Anybody here? I didn't think so. He has undergone mockings and scourgings, and it wasn't just here at the end of his life. People mocked him all through his ministry and made fun of him. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Jesus was despised. I mean, there are people that might not particularly like me, but I don't think that I am despised. He was despised. He was like one from whom men hide their face. So it's like, you, you go up and you're like, oh, oh, man. I mean, just, and this happened to me once. And it hurts and I remember it to this day. I remember that, that I was in, with, in college with a friend of mine. And, and uh, there was this, this little group and, and uh, uh, this was this really pretty young lady. And it wasn't Shireen. She never would have done this. And she was talking to, to these uh she was talking to this group of people and, and I mentioned, so I don't even remember what I mentioned. She went like this. She, she looked at me and she saw who it was saying this. She went, just that. I mean, something so subtle as that. Just, And I remember that to this day because I was really hurt. Do you know, it doesn't take much to hurt us. Did you know that? Just a, a little bit of a rolling eye. And it, you know, we melt. We are really very frail individuals. I mean, do that to a dog. A dog, it won't phase them a bit. I mean, but human beings just, just get hurt over the smallest of things. I don't know that she despised me, but, you know, it's, it's sort of a condescending look. And that's it. Just for a moment, just a glance. I mean, Jesus lived like this. People would see him. Jesus knows our pains. He knows our struggles. Surely, our, in verse 4, our griefs he bore. Remember, he is a man, in verse 3, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Alright? So Jesus knows sorrows and he knows grief. Verse 4, surely our griefs he himself bore. So on top of all his griefs and sorrows, he bears our grief. And our sorrows He carried. So remember, He has His own griefs and sorrows. 
But He is bearing our griefs and our sorrows. Remember, He's not taking away our griefs. He is not taking away our sorrows, but He's walking with us to bear them. You see what I mean? There's a big difference. If you think that you come to the Lord and you, you will be free of griefs and sorrows, you're wrong. Griefs and sorrows follow us all. But He bears them. Like Simon of Cyrene, let me help you carry this. He's got His own, lots of them. But He helps us bear ours. It says, Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. That means like He's carrying all of it and we're like, you know, one pinky worth we are carrying now. Because He is carrying this. This is what our Lord does. This is what He does. This is what He does with us. You know, if you don't have the Lord... You, he doesn't have to punish you. He doesn't have to, to take your nose and rub it in the ground. Alienation from His presence is punishment enough in itself. Just not being able to have that fellowship with Him is punishment enough in itself. The thought of being without Him, to me, I've, I've known God for, for uh, 37 years, 38 years. The thought of having to go without Him, of having to go a day without Him, is so repulsive to me that it, it, it would be punishment, just overwhelming punishment, if I didn't know that I had a relationship with Jesus that He would carry my struggles, that He would carry my pains. I mean, I have struggles like everybody else. I really do. I mean, I, I'll share some with you. I, I mean, my, my research group, I mean, just the funding is so hard trying to carry all of this thing and trying to get all this money and I'm going all over the world, hat in hand, trying to raise money and write proposals and, and uh, just one thing after another, decline, decline, decline. Saying, Lord, you haven't brought me this far just to drop me. I mean, just carrying this. And then the people coming at me with, with different things going on in their lives and, and things happening and, and carrying this burden of, of, of the classes and, and, and my kids going through little struggles, little things. And so I have mine. But He comes alongside and He bears up under these sorrows. He bears up under these griefs. And if you don't know Him, I'm saying this alienation from His presence is just, to me, to me, should be enough to say, hey, come, come to Him. Learn what it is to have, have Him help you carry these struggles, to carry these struggles. You know, when you don't have, when you don't live in His home, in His presence, it means you live with yourself and in the world. And in, within ourselves and within the world, there is plenty to beat us up and to pull us down. Plenty. You come into His home. He doesn't, relieve, he doesn't take those struggles and those griefs away from you. But He will bear them with you. He will carry your sorrows with you. Remember, He doesn't free us. He doesn't deliver us from pains, from suffering. But what He does is He delivers us from the despair of suffering. Because He carries it with us. This is our God 
This is the prophecies concerning our Lord Jesus. Here he was on the cross. Here he was going into this. And he was carrying our burdens. This is what it is to walk with Christ. It is a relationship where he carries these things, where you're no longer alienated from his presence, which is the ultimate of punishments in itself, the alienation from his presence. And it's not that he doesn't want to enjoy this presence with you. It's that we choose to have the presence with him or not, because he never forces himself upon us. We can choose. We can choose. I hope you make that choice today to walk with Him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for Your mercies, for Your grace this day. I thank You so much, O Lord. Father, I pray for these young people. Father, for those here that know You and are going through sorrows and struggles. Lord, I pray that they press right into You and see what it is that You would carry those struggles. You would bear those griefs and those sorrows that You would bear those with them. And Lord, I pray here today for those that don't know You. Lord, may their hearts be open so that they don't have to suffer this pain of alienation from Your presence, but that they would invite You into their lives. And if you don't know the Lord, pray with me. Right now, pray with me. I ask you, pray with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the wrong that I have done. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Come into my life. I believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And indeed, He is Lord. And Father, I pray for those who prayed that prayer this morning, that You would draw them close to Jesus, that You would draw them close. The mercies and the grace of God be upon them. Father, I thank You. Take these young people and build them up strong. Lord, set them in a place to speak of your word and to become leaders in their lives, to lead many others to the feet of Jesus. So build them up in the truth that can come only from the word of God, that they would know you and know your name. And they would set their lives on telling others and drawing others to the feet of Jesus. Have mercy on these young people, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.